he just got to, you know, to do the poetry, uh, listen to the hot babes uh, singing. Uh, and and that was it, right? It was complete abdication. A bunch of people yeah. who didn't want to rule became emperors yeah. and kings and nawabs for successive mm-hmm. generations. podcast where Vijay and I discuss, dissect, and overall distill one weird idea every single week. Vijay, how's it going? Great. You know, I really admire the uh, alliteration and your commitment to it uh, on the introduction there. I was committed to the alliteration. I feel like well-placed alliteration is important. Yeah, I I think it's one of the things uh, our listeners come to us for is is excellent alliteration. So uh, maybe this Maybe we're gonna have to do this each week. <laughs> oh my god, that's all I had, BJ. I don't, I don't. I should have told you this before the intro, but that's the only. Those are the three D words I know. Oh, well, it's good because next week we're doing E's, so no problem. All right, we'll, we'll try. <laughs> so, so, Kieran, this week you were uh, you're up, right? You're up on deck. So you wrote uh, you wrote a nice essay on Substack, and yeah, I did. Uh, tell us about it. I'll tell you what, the, once I finished the article, I kind of felt better about the fact that India had been colonized, right? Because my article this week was about the many world hypothesis uh, in quantum mechanics and its implications on our history uh, as a colonized country. The many world hypothesis for our listeners and who haven't read the, the article is that At every moment in time, the universe is constantly splitting into infinite numbers of other worlds. Kieran, I have to interrupt you. There's something our listeners need to know. Last week, we were doing science fiction and marriage advice. And this week, we're doing quantum mechanics and and Indian history. I just want to make sure I'm with you on this. Not last week, week before. The week before, but you're absolutely right. That, that's the way I like to roll, VJ. People are getting a lot of value for money. This is why we don't have an audience, Karen. We can't zero in on anybody. We have no niche. Everything is our <laughs> is in our purview. It's perfect. Yes or nothing. Right? When we look at the intersection <laughs> of people, we understand these things. So if you're into quantum mechanics and history, and Indian history, yeah, Indian history. Indian history. I've been really into Indian history for a while, and I had to do some yeah. research for this for this essay. Because I wasn't sure how a couple of these um, how a couple of these areas were going to play out. So, ten thousand foot view of the idea is that there's an infinite number of universes, and I postulate that India was colonized in less than one percent of them. I think India's usually kind of like the EU; the entire place was never colonized. Lots of different disparate um, kingdoms that eventually became nation states. But only in in our particular reality, and maybe a few others, India was colonized and we could speak English. I'm I'm really curious to hear what you thought. Well, one, you know, it's funny because in the last, you know, few years, I've got more and more interested in Indian history as well. Um, I have a complicated legacy when it comes to this topic, right? As as a um, uh, dual citizen, British citizen, uh, right? As well as American citizen. 
Yeah. Uh, right. I was I was born in the UK. Right. To Indian parents whose parents both worked with the British Raj. Complicated so, history, EJ. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. You know whose side I'm on in this one. Uh, anyway, I don't know whether Ooh, this I should... is going to be so fun. Yeah, I don't know how to get offended about it, or where, or uh, where, how I should feel about this one. So I'm Wait, really. Can, can you remind to... me again? Did your parents move to the UK, or did yeah. their parents? So my, like... my parents, my parents moved to the UK, and they uh, moved post independence. Yeah, they moved in the 1960s, right? So 1960s, um, of course, yeah, okay. Right, and then both of my both of my grandfathers were uh, police officers, you know. And when they started their careers, they started their careers pre-partition, right? So uh, under yeah. Indian, under under British rule, and they actually saw that that change, you know, which is, you know, led to some bizarre things. So, so one of the questions I had for you, Karen, was like, you know, you're going to find this hard to believe, but not all of our audience is is Indian. Um, and so I, I think one of the things that would be useful is that the 20-minute summary of, of Indian history and the relationship to the British. And the second thing is, how are Indian people taught Indian history? Because like, my perception, and I only have two countries to kind of base this on, yeah, yeah. is your history always makes you look good, right? And so, so how, how is it taught, how is Indian history taught uh, in India, and then kind of what's the what's the nutshell, you know, kind of like how did these British folk end up there and how did oh, you get man. them to this leave? Is a, it's a good question. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my experience with Indian history class. Primarily because I was in the U.S. till middle school, I I don't think I had the, the extremely patriotic stuff you learn in elementary, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in the U.S., you learn about how the pilgrims and the Indians work together for Thanksgiving. So you learn all that stuff. And I think that carries over with you. In India, it's, I'm assuming, very different. Um, and I, I actually should dig into this a little more with uh, Nritya because she's, yeah, she, she went there. to school there. She was there. Yeah. She's, she saw all that stuff. But I will tell you from middle school and high school that Indian history is taught to be, we have all these freedom fighters and, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, the nonviolent uh, effectively the father of the nation. We're taught about how the lack of Indian unity was what caused the British to take over, which we should come back to that because I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that's the base reality. So lack of unity amongst the, uh, amongst the people as the primary cause. There's a lot of old Indian history, Ashoka uh, being one of the great rulers, then all the Islamic conquests, and then Akbar being one of the great rulers. And then there's just a slowly a slow degradation of Indian culture for 300 years after Akbar, or 200 years. And it's really sad to hear about, you know. If you, if you followed Indian history, the attack on Indian confidence that the British had, primarily because every one of the previous conquerors had assimilated in a way, right? The British were the first to, to make a turn in the, uh, I wrote about that, I think in the early 1800s, they made a heel turn. And instead of propping up Indian culture, they started to whitewash it and start to chip away at the foundations. Uh, they started to make Indian people believe that, you know, a lot of this stuff is backward. Um, and while I think you can argue a lot of it, uh, some of it, you know, maybe even most of it was, 
I think in the end, the British may have thrown out the baby with the bathwater, really affected the confidence of about a billion people, even to this day. One question I have for you with respect to assimilation, right, of kind of previous conquerors, because let's face it, we've taken quite the beat down here, right? Like, uh, Like kind of everybody comes in, establishes themselves, right? And then... I, but I guess what I question is like, is it real? Are they actually assimilating, or are we? Is it more of a salad bowl kind of situation? Like I remember reading this book by Shashi Tharoor, and he was talking about the relationship between Hindus and Muslims, and Muslims from India, and how they feel about India. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're, they're you know they're kind of genuine like kind of patriotism, right? Like because this is where they were born, and this is where their families lived for generations, right? And Whereas, you know, perhaps by Hindus, they're, they're viewed as outsiders, perhaps. I think that's a great... I think a salad bowl is probably a more a reasonable metaphor for India, right? It's not a melting mm. pot uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But I think when, you, when I think about conquerors, you, you can start all the way with Alexander the Great, right? Mm. The dude went all the way to India, and he went to the borders of... Uh, of the Indus, so like actually well into what you can consider the subcontinent, because he crossed the mountains and he he got there, and he left literally Greek population, Macedonian population, and generals there, affecting the art forms um, for many many centuries. Uh, but when what ends up happening is there's a very uh, it's like a porous membrane. You know how like you filter water through mm-hmm. osmosis, mm-hmm. even though the people themselves aren't the best at mixing in India. You'll see a lot mm-hmm. of cultural elements being being swapped. For example, mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, random anecdotes is that in the kingdom of Vijayanagar, uh, an old Hindu kingdom, right, uh, which had one of the most famous South Indian kings, uh, Krishna Devaraya, they used to call each other uh, effectively sultans from like the Muslim rulers, right? So, and they said it in Telugu, and I, I'm gonna, I'm missing these words, but uh, effectively they would call each other what the uh, neighboring uh, sultans or uh, emperors would call, call themselves in the Islamic kingdoms. So um, they used to dress a lot like uh, their, uh, their Muslim counterparts um, similarly, the, a lot of the Muslim architecture borrowed a lot from Hindu architecture at the time. And while I, I'm not going to pretend and like whitewash the history where there's probably lots of battles, it was far more a battle between two kingdoms rather than religious warfare from what I, I know of, all the way up till like the yeah. 1600s, 1700s. The Mughals and the Marathas fought. And the Mughals were an Islamic kingdom. Marathas were a a Hindu kingdom. But the Mughals also fought a lot of the other Muslim kingdoms all around them. So it was was fairly evenly dealt. Um, It it was about power, right? Rather than about about ideology. And I wonder if if it kind of changes a bit when you all look the same. Exactly. And a lot of the, the Muslims have, you know, potentially Hindu ancestry, um, mm. a lot of the, the people, a lot of the food is the same, dude. A lot of the language is mm. similar. The festivals mm-hmm. even have overlap. Like 
Mm-hmm. We have friends and we'd go celebrate Eid, right? After 200, 300 years of British rule, it became a lot more black and white than I think we can appreciate. Like it's hard to drop ourselves back um, 500 years ago and kind of figure out, hey, what was the Hindu-Muslim divide like back then? Uh, especially some of the most famous emperors had Hindus as their, uh, you know, treasury secretary. And that's like, that's one of the uh, funny things about our history is like, yeah. that's the way it was. Yeah. Uh, it seems like that division was a very kind of carefully calculated British Raj kind of thing, right? A, a way of kind of like divide and conquer, you know? Um, I don't think they were that smart. That's that's the point of my... Uh, my piece. My problem with the whole prevailing narrative is I think a lot of old British historians, early 1900s, 1950s, they really glorified those early days, man. They went yeah, back and yeah. looked at the history. They were like, oh, this was our strategy all along. We're going to divide and rule. And maybe that was a concerted strategy later on, like in the 1850s. But it, at the very beginning, it was a series of comical errors so it's far more like what's that uh what's what's the most famous comedy troupe from the uk the the knights who say knee those guys monty python it's dude it's like monty python trying to conquer india rather than you know some sort of winston churchillian like figure going in and just laying down the law it wasn't like that at all the british get kept getting repelled and were just defeated one at a time. And I think it was just a, um, every battle they kept for the first 50 to 100 years resulted in a horrific losses for the British. What ended up happening is the, the Mughal king, and as well as a lot of the other kingdoms, they just became lax. They basically, hmm. it's like you just, you've beaten someone so many times, you, you stop to really think about it. And then they just started losing battles. And forget about losing battles, they lost the battles, you know, 10 years before they were even fought because, you know, the Nawabs, the smaller, uh, the mm. rulers who basically all reported up to the Mughal emperor, right? So in, mm. in the history, Mughal emperor, lots of mm. princes underneath them. Usually they were all related, you know, just like European uh, monarchy. Yeah. But um, mm. you've got a bunch of Nawabs and smaller mm. kingdom owners, and they owe some tax to the emperor every year. The smaller Nawabs usually had small standing armies and um, the emperor kept like the large share of the armies but because they wanted to resolve territory disputes between the nawabs they didn't want to escalate the problem as our uh, as our former manager jeff b would always say escalate quickly they didn't like escalations so they they kept fighting amongst themselves and because they have small standing armies what do you do well you pay the british and the british had mercenaries effectively that you can you can hire and so what ended up happening is because they kept making money the british kept going stronger and stronger basically siphoning wealth from the nawabs well well, you know one of the things that was really weird was it was like a business entity that ended up taking over india right like in terms of like the east india company absolutely right and initially right there was like the relationship between the East India Company officials and and the British, and and the and the Indian aristocracy was 
okay-ish. You know, it was, it was a business relationship, right? You it was know, a it was, total it was business your, relationship. I'd actually go further. For, I would go further than yeah. it was okay-ish. I think the aristocracy really benefited from the East India Company. And that yeah. was, if, yeah. if there was any division that you can kind of say within the Indian population, it was the division between the aristocracy and the common people. So that was that was one big difference, dude, that I would see between our history textbooks and what I think really happened. In our history mm -hmm. textbooks, people will point out that, oh, the Marathas split into four different kingdoms and then one dude betrayed his other, his other uh, uh, cousin or something uh, in the fight for power, then they sold out to the British. And I think there's some small portion of that, but I think the bigger divide was between the, the ruling class and the general population. And what ended up happening is the ruling class just started abdicating. They were like, we don't want to handle this liability shit anyway. All yeah. we need to do is like, they, they didn't mind giving away power to allow uh, the British to rule. Yeah, it felt like, you know, I, I read this book called The Last Mogul. Yeah, uh, by fantastic. William, uh, incredible book, right? Dalrymple, and, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just seemed like he'd given up, right? It seemed like he was so happy to not have to do any of the work, right? Like he just got to, you know, do the poetry, uh, listen to the hot babes uh, singing, uh, and and that was it, right? His complete abdication. A bunch of people yeah. who didn't want to rule became emperors yeah. and kings and nawabs for successive mm. generations. So I, I have a basic question for you, right? And that is, in your opinion, right, do you think the average Georgian is better off today having gone through British rule? Or would he have been better off if the British had never shown up? Absolutely, the British should have never shown up in India. Absolutely. See, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, like We would have never yourself... met. So from that perspective, Vijay... Yeah, I so am it was all sort worth of it. glad. It was all worth it for this podcast. But on another level. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. You know, I'm not even sure this warrants any further discussion. I think this is all worth it. <laughs> you know, all those massacres, all, the, all that stuff. All the famines. Yeah, all the... yeah, all those yeah, famines that are inflicted by Winston Churchill, you know, unnecessarily where a million plus people died, you know, just so that he could have mountains of, of wheat. At least you and I got to meet out of this. Yeah. In America. In America. The place they were aiming for. The, the place <laughs> they ended up accidentally. Right? They so, accidentally um, started, yeah. The, the reason why I question it is the caste system. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard to see kind of what would have happened. Like, it seemed like the opportunity of kicking the British out, like, forced India to, one, think about being a country. Yeah. And two, in some shape or form, start to reconcile these horrible things that they had done to a significant portion of their population. For an do you extended really think the time. caste system... What, I agree that it ossified and was more rigid, but do you not think India would have gone through its own renaissance had we had the wealth in the country... Um, same way Europe went through a renaissance, uh, 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 social, cultural uh, changes occurred in, what, the, the 1700s, 1800s? Prime years that were effectively uh, taken away just because mm -hmm. we were siphoning wealth away from India into Europe. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things you didn't make clear up front was, you know, the health of India's economy prior to the East India Company showing up. Dude, prior to the East India Company, India had a twenty-five percent of the GDP of the entire world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's, I, I saw. I think I read thirty percent, but I'll, I'll give you twenty-five percent. That's a lot. I'll take thirty. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it a was lot. Higher exactly. than China. Yeah, yeah. China and yeah. India made up like what is that? Seventy percent of yeah, and, and to your point, of the entire world. And, and and to your point, like the English GDP at that point was nothing. Like they were nobody, right? We should be the so embarrassed. Is, we should have such low self-esteem. We got beat up by these guys. It's it's just sad, especially because the early trade relations were so lopsided. Like the British could not find anything to trade with the Indian uh, ruling class. So they started funneling gold from the new world. And that's why, you know, a lot of the gold from America, South, you know, the United States, South America, mm. um, they was, it was just, it was taken by the East Indian Company. They would go buy tea and they would buy uh, spices from India, China, etc., and then funnel it back. And that's why the Boston Tea Party was literally throwing tea from, I think, one of India or China. So it's just this entire commerce uh, mm. was effectively a way for the British East India Company to get spices and resources out of India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a crap deal. We got gold out of it, which is the sad. The funny thing is India got gold in the first couple hundred years. And in the back end mm. of that couple hundred years, the British took that gold anyway, and it went back yeah, because yeah. of... Well, I mean... Once the British right, government you know, actually moved in, that was the true mm. dark ages for Indian colonial rule. Um, and that's when the first revolt started, right? Before then, mm. it was wars fought amongst equals, but only after the mm. British government really came in was there a revolt. But I want to I want to go back yeah, to your I, question again. Like, yeah, isn't it hard to justify that we would be we're better off that in the other universes? In the other, again, there's an infinite number of universes, but as a percentage, right? Ninety nine percent of the universes, I don't think India's colonized. In those universes, but, but, but being not colonized, and you know. The average person being better off aren't necessarily as correlated, right? In this case, are they? I think they they are. It's just purely from wealth drain, right? You have to you have to look at it in terms of if you have a local ruler, right? Mm. It's much harder to and, sustain and, famines. And be, before the British showed up, it wasn't like there was a, you know, they were good at wealth distribution amongst their people. They weren't good, but they were better. It's a low bar. It's a low bar because what ended up happening is the British would take wealth out of India and then buy British made goods, right? Like if yeah, I was a wealthy, East in, yeah, if I was a yeah. wealthy East Indian office, East India company officer, I'm buying a freaking Rolls Royce. I'm not going to invest in like car manufacturing in India. And that's where India basically missed a hundred years. I think what you're saying is inevitably it's like they've. It's like India's been through stunted growth. Like they've missed a, they've missed a developmental milestone. Pretty much, yeah. Right, like they they, um, and you know maybe India funded, right? England's um, development. Industrialization, yeah. 
Yeah, there's yeah, a good yeah, case like, to be made that China and India yeah. funded the industrialization of yeah. <laughs> the European Br countries. British, you know, British steel making and British uh, ship making, I think, were sorry, Indian uh, Indian steel making, and it was in, and Indian ship making, I think, yeah, were better right than than the British at that time. Yeah, right? and even but the yeah. railway cars. If you look at it, so a lot of. Yeah. You know, British folks love the fact that they built railways in India. You know, that would be true if they actually built the industry so that India could continue maintaining that railway system. And what ended up happening is they started banning the, the manufacturing of uh, railway compartments in India. And so all that knowledge transfer happened. Now they had to, like, build the railway cars in, in uh, the UK and then sell it at high markups to uh, to the Indian companies, again, paid by Indian taxes. And so mm. the, the railway cars will get shipped and they don't even know how to service it. So now they have to hire expensive British technicians to come to India and then fix railway cars. And this went on for decades, right? Um, it was crazy, dude. The amount of wealth transfer that happened in the 1800s and early 1900s is staggering. It's like hard to imagine today. Do you think projecting ahead, and, and every once in a while I'll see kind of rumblings, you know, and they're always around the, uh, they're always around the coin or diamond, right? Like, hey, give it back, right? And the British, no, no, no we got that's this. Fine. We're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna look after it. Right, but, but do you think <laughs> you can come right, look at it? You can come yeah, look yeah, at come it. Come look at it whenever you want. Whenever Museums you want. are free. Is, is like, the entrance you know, free you know, for the coin or diamond to go free. look at it? Yeah, yeah all the, all the museums are free in, in, oh, in London, right? So, but um, do you? You know, like here, right, uh, you know, there's always talk, you know, about reparations. Could you see a scenario where there's meaningful reparations from the UK, not just to India, but to, you know, remember their sons never set on their empire. So, like, they oh, kind of yeah. owe everybody something. I don't know. I don't think reparations are meaningful at this point. It's been too long. It would... Um... It really would be a token gesture. And I know a lot of people want the token gesture, but um, I, for one, don't good. really care. I, yeah, you know what? I, look, if I'm Modi, here's my strategy. If, if he calls me up, I'm going to tell him this. Right? Um, here's what I think you do. Right now, right, the UK is desperate. Right? Brexit has yeah. been bad. Finally, most British people now firmly agree Brexit was a bad idea. They do. Right. That's and a majority. So, They've taken polls. And a, stuff. Yeah, it's a majority now. Yeah, relatively recently, right? The majority of British people now believe this was a bad idea, right? And um, so, if you're Modi now, you come in, you do some trade negotiations with with uh, the United Kingdom, right? Who's very much on the back foot. And you say, look, we're prepared to do this all, but one facet of all this is you guys all do something called reparations for us. We want some good stuff out of you, right? And it almost doesn't matter what it is. He's got to be able to label something as $10 billion worth of reparations, oh, right? And they'll do it. They might get $100 billion worth of trade out of it, yeah. but he gets to claim that victory, right, of, you know, and I got reparations out. You know, I, I feel like the modern-day version of these reparations for India is the fact that we basically sent large portions of Indians to all over the world. And a lot of us, a lot of them send money back, right? Like in, not in reg, not in clear ways, but, um, there's enough Indian population all over the world 
the yeah. diaspora. Yeah, but I don't yeah. count that, Karen. Like, you don't look, count if I go somewhere and I send money back, I earned that money when I, wherever I went, right? So I, nobody gave that money to me when I got here. In fact, I handed over some of that money in taxes. But and you, I, you know, there was spend, an issue. If you spend the money in India, is what I'm saying. Yeah. If you spend the money in India. It's my money. India. I should be able to spend it wherever I want, even if I spend it here, right? More than likely, whatever I bought was made in China anyway. So some of that money went to China. That's true. Right? So, right? So, I mean, what, what, who did I pay? Like this American company, you know? Like this microphone came from OfferUp. I paid some guy on a unicycle for this. Well, what, about, um, what, about, what about the fact that a lot of the, the margins in tech are to the chip manufacturers and to the software companies? And a lot of Indians are in the software companies. Yeah, but yeah. again, it all comes down to they gave their labor in exchange. They didn't just get money from <laughs> right from those companies and then send it back. They earned that money, just like their British counterparts, right? Like their British counterparts, aren't, or, or their, their, sorry, their American counterparts aren't calling it reparations. Like no. the, American, the African-Americans who work for these chip companies, right, the pay they <laughs> the get, they don't get to feel good. They don't get to call those reparations and say, yeah, you know, we won. This is called um, capitalistic oh, unless, reparations. Unless they got like an extra bump in their salary, which was like a reparation uh -huh. adder, that's cool. This could be a solution. Amazon, you know, um, Amazon championing reparations. That would be that would be a story, dude. Actually, you know what? If they did a reparation bump, yeah, that would fix all these tech companies that are always struggling with diversity. This whole diversity bullshit. Yeah, the whole. My God, you know, Karen. Every week we meet, we solve a problem. They need to just put their money where their mouth is, right? And pay reparations to diverse candidates. So if you meet a certain... Yeah. And all, every, all the oh, implementation so details, I, I leave to the tech companies, of course. It would be so great. It would be so great to know, you know, that this guy is getting paid more than this guy. Because... Significantly more. Yeah. Significantly more. Yeah. Colonialism. Because of that. Because of the reparations. Yeah. Yeah. It would be amazing. And you know It'd what? Be amazing. Everyone would feel good about it, right? In theory. I would feel good about it. I'd feel pretty good. I would I would feel good knowing, you know, because I you know, I think I mentioned to you at least that I went to the African American Museum in, in DC. Oh brilliant. and I'm still really scarred by what I saw there. Like I'm really scarred by it. Ooh. You know, and so yeah, reparations. So, you know, Karen and other set world problems solved. Yeah. Do you feel better um, about colonialism, BJ, after this? I I certainly do, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I, you're I'm, a huge fan, you're a huge fan of colonialism now. No, no, no. I feel better. I thought you were ready to start up some sort of terrorist movement. <laughs> I'm saying I feel better that India was colonized. I don't feel so bad about it because, in my uh, opinion, we are in the one percent, and there's a bunch of Indians living out somewhere that don't even consider themselves really. I, I think they're just like brown folk. In the, in the subcontinent, in all these parallel universes that were never colonized. They just never knew what it was like. So actually, it's funny, you say you feel better about it. I feel kind of guilty about it. I'm like, you know, if that whole British rights thing hadn't gone down, I mean, for my grandfathers, right, that was good, gainful employment, right? And so... But they could have been... Like aristocracy, aristocracy. We, we, your your grandfathers would have been fine, even if the British didn't no. come through. Of course, 
they did what they could. Like, I, I don't, I don't begrudge anyone who worked for the British civil service, right? It's, it's not, they had to make ends meet at some level, but. I'm just saying that we benefited disproportionately from, from that British Raj showing up, at least my family, right? Um, with your, with your family, would, would you say better off or worse off? I think we benefited proportionately to the regular person. But because the British lowered the pie so much in India, at best it evens out, but most likely I think it, we were worse off than everyone else in all these other universes. Just you have to compare yourself to a European of today. And it's just not mm. the same. Like there's no way, even though my great grandmother, apparently there's a word for this, it, but effectively she was gifted land by the British because she had mm. done some great deed. It was, it's, it's just like the family wealth is so much lower than a, an equivalent uh, grant in, in Europe, which would have made them like a, a feudal lord almost at some level. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we got gypped, Javijay. It's easy to say we got gypped. Come on. So, no. <laughs> Here, I'm going to leave you with one last story, okay? My, my grandfather told me this story about how he became a police officer. He got this letter of recommendation from a friend of his, right? He takes this letter to the police station, right? And um, there's a guard standing at the, at the front who wants a bribe in order for my grandfather to be able to take this letter into the the British police officer, right? And the guard was Indian. Obviously, the the man in charge was British, right? And he wanted some some sum of money. I think it was like five rupees, which was a lot of money for him. So then he comes back to the village, right? And this is kind of like family law, right? So I don't know. You know, I feel like it's I'm sure it's it's been enhanced, right? And so comes back to the village explains the sitch, the village has a chip in, they come up with the money, he goes back to this guard at the front, bribes the guard, the guard lets him in, my grandfather, whose English was excellent by the way, right, um, goes in, talks to the British officer and says, by the way, this guy up at the front, he extracted this bribe from me. And so that guy at the front, yeah, yeah, he crossed him up, yeah, right, and so, and then so that guy was ordered to give my grandfather like some multiple of the money that he bribed him. Wow! And my grandfather brought that money back to the village and handed it out, and you know he was a he was a hero in the village. This is the story as told to me by my grandfather. So he, he got the I job, mean, yeah. He got the job. He probably replaced that first guy. Yeah, that guy was on his way out at that point. It must have been kind of awkward first day on the job, though. Right, so. <laughs> Can you imagine if they took bribes to get into companies here? That would be so strange. So efficient. Like Maybe you could just eliminate all the recruiters or their job changes. Yeah, um, they become uh, bribery managers. It's a nice story. Kieran, yeah. 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 Kieran, we have to wrap things up. we got to wrap it up. It was fun to, piecing apart this weird thought. I, I don't know if we've closed many of the loops, but Indian history is so big and it's so complicated. So it'd be mm-hmm. hard, to, hard to do that in a 30-minute segment. But as always, it was, it was great chatting.
it was really great and I, you know i really enjoyed uh uh reading reading your substack and I, I recommend you know to all of our listeners that they uh go out check out our substack where they can see you know this uh this essay that you wrote and and all the other stuff that we've uh, that we posted as well oh yeah lots of fun there and then just keep the discussion going you can comment uh you can reply to other people um it's a party over there. And um, yeah. if you have thoughts, comments, suggestions, and even weird thoughts of your own, why don't you email us at oneweirdthought at gmail.com? We, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, maybe one, one of these days we'll feature a listener submission. Uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Well, uh, you know, thanks everybody for listening and uh, have a great evening, morning afternoon whatever it is wherever you are wherever you are one one of these days we'll feature a listener submission uh, i think that'd be a lot of fun wow yeah yeah i like it well uh you know thanks everybody for listening and uh have a great evening morning afternoon whatever it is wherever you are wherever you are see you yeah.